You're listening to Understanding Micah, which is part of our Understanding the Old Testament series, Making the Old Testament Accessible to You. Now, we've looked at Micah's warning in the first couple of chapters that God is going to discipline Israel for their idolatry, and that one day they're actually going to be exiled out of the land, but that they shouldn't fear, that that exile is actually going to be the means through which God restores them, gathers them again, forgives them, and brings them to a higher stage and level of glory. Now, in Micah chapter 6, God once again voices his displeasure with Israel's rejection of his word. And I want you to pay attention to the specific charges that God lobbies against Israel. This is Micah chapter 6. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth, For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. And so you shall bear the scorn of my people." Micah chapter 6 takes the form of a legal courtroom with God the judge assembling all of creation as witnesses to hear his verdict of guilty upon sinful Israel. And his charge, his accusation is that Israel has responded to his grace with disobedience. God has loved them and they've returned that love by seeking false gods and disobeying his law. And God is kind of saying, you know, where did I go wrong? Was it me delivering you out of slavery from Egypt? Or or was it me giving you leaders like Moses and Aaron and Miriam to guide you through the wilderness? Is that where I went wrong? Is that, is that what caused you to hate me so much? 
or perhaps God protecting them from the evil King Balak's attempts to kill them. Maybe the Lord should not have done that. Is, Is God's overwhelming righteousness and goodness to them, is that what is causing them to sin? There's a little bit of irony or, or sort of sarcasm here, right? God's righteousness has been displayed from the foundation of Israel's existence. Their whole existence lives upon the kindness and blessing of God. And their response is not gratitude and obedience, but hard-heartedness and idolatry. And God talks directly to them and says, look, my requirements aren't rocket science. Do justice love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Don't think you can buy off God by multiplying sacrifices, giving money, offering your own child. God doesn't need any of that from you. What he wants is your obedience. What he wants is your heart. And he wants your obedience for your own good. So stop making this complicated. Now, God does care about offering sacrifices. He gives a lot of regulations for that in his law but not at the expense of your motivations for those sacrifices. In other words, God cares about why we do things, not just what we do. Our motivations matter. And it's because of their twisted motivations. It's because they have, as the other prophets speak of, you know, you you, you give me offerings, but your heart is far from me. God says, I'm going to exile you. I'm going to kick you out of the land that I've given you as a gift. Now, again, Micah's writing at the time when King Sennacherib of Assyria is at the gates of Jerusalem, and it looks like Sennacherib is the final acts of judgment. But in 2 Kings 19, God delivers Jerusalem under King Hezekiah, and they're safe. Now, does this invalidate Micah's prophecy of exile? Well, remember, we've said this in previous episodes, Micah's prophecies and prophetic Literature in general, with prophecies, works on two fronts, the near future and the distant future. There's a near immediate fulfillment and then a future greater fulfillment. Now, the Assyrian siege of Sennacherib in 2 Kings 19 to 20 is a foretaste of a future invasion of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So you think about it, uh, he's he's kind of using Assyria as saying, think of an Assyria-like entity in the future that's going to actually take us over. They're going to be even more fearsome than Assyria. And we see that King Nebuchadnezzar actually destroys Jerusalem and destroys the temple and brings the nation into exile. And we see that this is actually in fulfillment of a warning that Isaiah gave to Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20, when Hezekiah, after defeating Assyria, gets proud and shows off all his riches to these Babylonian ambassadors. And Isaiah says, because of that, All those riches you showed off are going to be taken away into Babylon. So there's this beginning of a warning. Hey, if you don't repent, don't think that because I delivered you from Assyria that you can just keep on going the same trajectory. If you don't turn the ship around, a greater threat in Babylon will come. And that's exactly what happens. That's what the book of Daniel is all about. This is how deep Jerusalem's corruption runs. She imitates the idolatry of Omri and Ahab. Omri and Ahab are not kings of Judah. They're kings of northern Israel, which is historically way worse than southern Israel. And he's kind of saying, look, you guys are imitating the worst of kings right now. That's how infected you are with this idolatry and sin. And God says, I'm going 
I'm going to discipline you. He talks about all the things that you sow, you won't reap. All the blessings of the land will be futile. These are all reversals of blessings, which is another common way that the prophets speak about God's judgment. And just as northern Israel was exiled into Syria, so that happened in 722, so the northern kingdom of Israel uh, was exiled, so southern Judah will also be taken in exile in Babylon. In other words, Jerusalem's biggest enemy is herself. And the only way Israel can be reformed is if she, in a sense, dies and is resurrected. If she goes into exile so that she can be brought back again. If she's brought from death to life. Now for man, this is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. And here's the hope Micah points out. You're going to exile. You're going into Babylon. But even the exile will work together for your good. And God through the exile, will bring you back into the land and he will restore you and he will rejuvenate you and he will lift you up once again. But you've got to trust that process. And in the meantime, remain faithful to the Lord. How do you do that? Is it with big shows of religiosity? Is it with flaunting your wealth? Is it with all this self-sufficiency? No, it's simple. By doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly, with the Lord. In the next episode, we're going to conclude our series on Micah by looking at Micah chapter 7 and the importance of waiting on the Lord.